0: What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the neighborhood podcast. I'm half of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. You
1: know, I'm the other half of the podcast. My name is Caladabro. Kevin, what a weekend in sports, my guy. And I'm just so excited to dive into this episode, man. I imagine you are as well, too.
0: Dude, from college football to playoff baseball to the NFL today, jam packed all the way through. And there was just there was not one single dull moment, and I am just I'm I'm just
1: ready. Yes, sir. You ready to hit these topics, my guy? Yes, sir.
0: So today, Kyle and I are strictly going to talk a little bit more on the NFL. I mean, we had a whole lot of great games, but I mean, we thought that there were four focal points, uh, four big, big games that really made statements to us in terms of um, teams really showing out and saying, "Hey, we're here, and this is the this is the moment that we're going to show the NFL we're serious." Uh, before I get into that agenda, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the New York Yankees. We did clinch. The top spot in the AL wild card today, henceforth, why I am wearing my shirt. We beat the Tampa Bay Rays 1 0, bottom of the ninth, walk off by Aaron Judge. So I will take it for what it's worth. The wild card game against the Boston Red Sox in Fenway will take place on Tuesday. So either you guys will see me on Thursday or you won't because I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it due to cardiac arrest. It's going to be fine. But to get on topic of what we're going to talk about today, uh, we have. Four games that we're going to cover in terms of three that happened today and then one that's going to be the prediction for Monday night. So first, we're going to talk about the game that just ended a few moments ago, which is the Tampa Bay Bucks at the New England Patriots. Um, it's Tom Brady's obviously return to New England, obviously, since he left in the offseason last year. Uh, and Tampa Bay just squeaked by with the win, I, I believe, 19 to 17. Yeah. Uh, Pretty much winning by the skin of their teeth. From what I understand, I missed. The attempt, but uh, the rain kind of started up towards the end of that game, and Nick Folk missed a 56 yarder to where it hit the upright. so I mean New England came within probably a few feet of winning that game at home and spoiling Tom's return. but that's not the way that the cookie crumbled. So Tampa walks out of there at three and one. Uh, we also are going to talk about the Carolina Panthers at the Dallas Cowboys. And the complete annihilation that the Cowboys pretty much put onto the Carolina Panthers up until the fourth quarter, where Carolina started to claw their way back. But nevertheless, Dallas holds on and they move on to three and one as well. And then we were going to talk about the powerhouse matchup that Kyle and I predicted to go a completely different way, Mm -hmm. that we just tend to have these predictions in which you're just like, wait a minute. (laughs) Like it went like, we still- it went like
1: completely the opposite way that we had in the first place. Like it wasn't even close.
0: I I don't think anybody saw it coming, other than Cardinals fans. But Arizona ends up going into L.A. and just mopping the floor with the Rams by the score of thirty-seven to twenty. And Kyler Murray looked like the MVP candidate that we all think he is. Uh, I did forget one game. I do apologize. We are also going to cover the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Green Bay Packers and the ass whooping that the Steelers received from Aaron, Rodger, Aaron Rodgers and company and then of course we're going to give our predictions for Monday night that is the LA Ram excuse me LA Chargers at the Vegas Raiders
1: reverse it um it's in LA so it'll be the uh the Vegas Raiders going up against the uh, LA Chargers
0: oh I didn't think that was possible considering they just the the Rams just played today at home so I didn't know they were going to set the stadium all up again
1: no like I have a tab like in Google Chrome and like, I just checked it for the uh, kind of like the, the preview they kind of give ahead of the game. And yeah. Then, yeah. It's in, uh, it's in LA. So I imagine the, uh, the grounds crew at uh SoFi stadium is going to be busy all night, flipping the color scheme to that entire field, the entire stadium that, that I always love like those, those uh time lapse videos that you see like over the course of like you know six to all of them hours, tearing up and when building they tear down. It yeah. all down and then they build it all back up. Like I, I always think like those time lapse videos are so cool. So yeah, they'll uh they'll get that stadium ready for tomorrow night, which that dude, that Monday night matchup is going to be phenomenal. You got two teams in the top of the AFC West just gonna go at it. And bro, these Monday night games have been really good so far. So and this is just another one to add as well. Yo, no, Cap,
0: I cannot believe how on fire Monday night has been. Granted, it's the teams that are performing because the schedule just comes out. Nobody expected the Raiders to be as hot as they were on two Monday night games. So, I mean, like we said before, the NFL season has not disappointed. But diving in to the first game that we had mentioned, dude, what a game this was. Kyle and I were literally talking about it all weekend to each other and the predictions and the ideas that we thought was gonna happen, we made the episode and then we were talking throughout today, this didn't go <laughs> at all. once again, we just did not expect this to happen. I mean, we, again, we predicted the outcome that the Bucks would win, but the score and how the, the, the game kind of played out. I mean, unfortunately there was a massive weather implement or uh, a massive weather- Implication. Implication. You see, I knew it had imp in front of it. My brain's kind of half asleep. Uh, and that, that that really showed all the way through. I mean, it was six to seven at half in favor of mm-hmm. New England. And I mean, that's absolutely insane. So Kyle, I'm going to direct this towards you. As the New England Patriots fan, as the Tom Brady super fan, what did you think about this game? And what do you think about the outcome?
1: Well, I remember when we were first talking about this game uh, last week, when we were making our predictions, that we thought that Tampa Bay was going to comfortably win this game by two possessions. And if the Patriots offense wasn't going to be able to score in any sort of way against the Bucks defense, that the Bucks could, could have potentially won by three possessions. And that just did not take place. Uh, the biggest factor probably of the entire game was the rain. Uh, it rained pretty much the entire first half. Um, it stopped raining for most of the third quarter and maybe about like halfway through the fourth quarter. And then it really started raining in the last three to four minutes of the fourth quarter. And it definitely affected not only the Patriots, but it affected the Bucks as well. I thought Brady was okay, but he was missing some passes. And I imagine that's just due into part, you know, balls wet. It's just it's like it, guys were dropping balls. Brady was throwing high on some of the passes. That's just what weather will do. And that's how it will impact the game. But, you know, when I look at the X's and O's of this game, the Patriots played the Bucs as well as you could play them. I mean, like you said, the Bucks only won this game by two points, and they only scored 19 points in the process. So you have to give a lot of credit to what Bill Belichick was able to devise as far as the defensive scheme against Brady. And they played phenomenal. They were able to get pressure against Brady. They were mixing coverages. They were mixing blitzes that they were showing to Brady. So they definitely made Brady uncomfortable in a sense to try to get some sort of consistency on the offensive side of the ball going, and it really kind of had that impact in the first half. And when you combine that with the rain, that's what happens when you have a seven to six halftime score when everybody's expecting somewhat of a fireworks show. When you got Brady going up against his old team of the Patriots, really in the second half, that's where this whole game kind of opened up when it stopped raining. The Bucks' offense was was able to get more consistency not only from Tom. But the run game, Leonard Fournette was an absolute monster in this game. He got close to about 100 yards rushing. He was also getting some plays out of the backfield in the pass game as well. He was really kind of the biggest factor for Tampa's offense the entire night. and He had a sensational game. I believe Rojo was the one running back that got them the touchdown in the third quarter. And then at the end of the game, I believe they were down by one point after... Uh, the Patriots settled for a field goal that put them up 17 to 16. And then Brady marched them right down the field, got them in the field goal range. And they were able to take the lead with about two minutes left, like two Oh five left. And honestly, the Patriots kind of got lucky because Antonio Brown essentially had a touchdown catch. But when he was bringing the ball into his body, just his four momentum, when he was just rolling over, uh, he lost the possession. That could have been a potential six points that, that would have really put a lot of pressure on Mac Jones and the offense to produce something, but just didn't work out that way. And then Mac Jones leads him down the field, gets him in the field goal range, and Nick Folk just hits it off the upright. I mean, it was a fifty six yard kick. It's pouring down rain, and the fact that he got enough leg on that, it was incredible, but he just missed it. I mean, he hit it right off the upright. So, you know, when, when I look at, the results of this game, you know, like I said, the rain definitely played a factor, but the bucks made some really good second half adjustments. They focused on running the ball more because new England's rush defense is lackluster to say the least. And Tom did kind of take more of a back seat. He was able to complete a lot of third down conversions when they needed him to. But when you combine what they were able to do on the ground, what they were able to do with Brady in certain moments and the defense coming up in very opportunistic moments, they were able to force some turnovers from the Patriots. They were also able to get the Patriots offense off the field when it mattered the most. And I mean, at the end of the game, probably one of the biggest plays that the Bucks defense had was a third down where Mac Jones is trying to throw the ball for a first down. And I believe it was uh, Levante David or Shaq Barrett. They knocked down the pass, and that's what led to Nick Folk for the sixty yard field fifty six yard field goal that he ended up missing. But overall, this was a fantastic game. It was a defensive game, which is kind of something that I think not a lot of people were expecting. But Brady gets it done. Leads him on the game-winning drive at the end. I thought Mack was great. Outside of the one interception that he had in the first half, he was sensational. He went on a 19-completion pass streak, which is just absolutely incredible for somebody his age and his Youth in the league. I mean, he tied Brady's completion streak throughout his entire career at the same mark, which is just absolutely insane. So I think Mac Jones definitely showed me that he has a lot of promise and a lot of potential for the Patriots moving forward. But at the end of the day, Brady gets it done when it matters the most, puts him in the position to win the game. And the Patriots just could not down the field goal at the end of the game. But all in all, it was a great return for Brady. The crowd was just electric from beginning to end and uh, in one of probably the biggest regular season matchups that we've seen in recent history. Uh, this game did not disappoint and you know speaking as a Patriot fan it was definitely tough uh, to see you know Brady on the other side of the ball but um, you know he definitely definitely made his impact not only on this game but you know for me as a fan and I definitely appreciate what he was able to do tonight and uh, he was definitely gracious and victory after it was all said and done. So I mean, fantastic game from beginning to end. And uh, Kevin, I'll kick it to you from here.
0: I mean, overall from what I saw again, um, wasn't really available to see a lot of it. I was kind of watching it from a distance, but that rain just really kind of kept this to a limited basis. I mean, when you talk about weather and we're talking not breezy, uh, we're not talking about snow. We're talking about just straight rain. That changes the dynamic of an entire playbook. That I mean, like you guys could have been practicing a specific way with a specific play call in mind. Everything's out the window. It becomes ground and pound football. I mean, for the most part. When you think of rain, you just think of a lot of rushing attempts. And that just was not the case for New England. I mean, you guys had a total of eight total carries. Damian Harris leading the way with four for negative one yards. That's absolutely horrendous. I understand that the Buccaneers have probably one of the best, if not the best, rush defense in the NFL, that does not mean you make your rookie quarterback in bad weather throw the football 40 times. Now, with that being said, the Buccaneers did run the ball 30 times for 119 yards, but Tom threw the ball 43 times. So, you know, the saying kind of goes, if you can do it, I can do it better. I'm not really going to sit there and try to go toe-to-toe with the GOAT. I do respect uh Bill Belichick's play calling ability in this game. Um I do respect the fact that he was not going to shy away from Tampa Bay secondary because we all know that that's their weakest attribute on the defensive side of the ball. But again, I will reiterate, you don't not run the football just because you are scared of the outcome or you feel like you do not have the personnel for it. You have to establish the run game and it takes one or two good runs to make that play action honest and it may have made Max Life a a a whole lot easier for him throughout the night. So um Definitely something to look forward to throughout the future. Again, I do know that Mac went on that 19 completion streak, and he was able to really go out there and make a big difference uh, on that side of the ball. But you do have to establish that run game and kind of make it consistent because if not, if this is going to be a consistent pattern, I don't know what they're going to do when it actually does get dicey and competitive in the AFC. So we will see what happens go forward. Overall, like Kyle said, good game. It did turn up in the second half, and we did see some some beautiful passes and and some beautiful connections, um, but the go gets it done in his first return back. And Tom has officially defeated every single NFL team out there. And I know not many quarterbacks can say that they've done that. You know what I'm saying? Like Tom, was Peyton? I don't think Peyton was able to do it because Peyton lost to the Colts twice in the three years or four years he was in Denver. So yeah, no, Brett did it because Brett was able to beat the Packers. But I'm saying, like, there's not many quarterbacks that can go around and say they have beaten all 32 teams.
1: Oh, absolutely. Because, like, I think there's only been four players that have actually done it. I know Brady's one of them. I just I don't know the other three players off the top of my head. But I will say this because we got to talk about the Buccaneers. Even though that they did win this game, they took some hits from this game, specifically on the injury front. Um, Carlton Davis went down with a quad injury would actually look like a pretty significant one. He had to be carted out of the stadium when he suffered that injury. I believe it was in the third quarter. And that already adds to a very weakened secondary for Tampa because Sean Murphy Bunting's out for the foreseeable future. I think he had a collarbone issue. Uh, Jamal Dean is going to be out for the next couple weeks. He's dealing with an injury. And then Antoine Winfield Jr. He left the game with a concussion. So, so you're, look, you're looking at you know four starters in Tampa secondary that are going to be out for for the foreseeable future. And granted, you know they did take the win. They're currently sitting at three and one, but you know, they, they just they just signed Richard Sherman just a couple days ago, and he's going to be thrusted into that starting role. You know for the foreseeable future until they get all their guys back. So you know I think Tampa's defense they played pretty well against Mac. They were bringing constant pressure against Mac. They blitzed him a bunch of times tonight. I wouldn't be surprised if they blitzed him tw- probably closer to 20 times. Uh, when They, they got the to stats, him, though.
0: They got four sacks.
1: They dig it. But I will say this. Mac handled the pressure very well. He completed a lot of his passes. I think he was somewhere around like 12 of 16, 13 of 16, when he was presented with the blitz. And granted, he did have one interception against them, but he did have a touchdown against them. So, you know, when you look at this result from beginning to end, I think, honestly, both teams could take some positives away from this game. Obviously, the Bucks are probably going to take a little bit more positives since they did get the win. But, dude, the Patriots made them earn it. This was a well-fought game from beginning to end, and it basically goes against anything that we expected going into this game. But I think it was really compounded by the fact that it was just pouring for at least three quarters of the game. So, um. I just gotta say, like, dude, it was surreal. You know, just speaking as a Patriot fan right now, granted, this is where the bias is gonna come in. Um, I know Tom was definitely feeling it. There's no doubt about it. Um, when the guy's been with that organization for 20 years. You know, he was one of the last guys to come out of the tunnel the tunnel pregame. And you could tell that he was missing some of his passes. I don't know if that was just because it was raining or he was kind of feeling the moment of the game, but You know, when the game was over and he was, you know, greeting all of his former teammates, you know, I'm talking to like Matthew Slater, uh, Chase Winovich, Devin McCourty, guys that have been there, been to war with the guy for years. You could just tell like the love is still there. the, The admiration, respect, it goes beyond anything simply just of what Jersey you're wearing. And, um even when he was doing his post-game interview with Michelle Tafoya after the game, he was holding it back. There's no doubt in my mind that he was definitely holding back tears. And I imagine that just the lead-up to this game throughout the entire week, you know, it it definitely put an emotional toll on him. And I think, you know, he's going to definitely keep the memories forever. And I think this is kind of one of those moments that he'll never forget. And honestly, this was probably one of his toughest games to ever play. You know, I talk about all the Super Bowls that he's played, all the AFC Championship games he, that he's played in the playoffs. I don't think any of those match what was going into this game tonight. This, on an emotional level, you know, exceeds any of those. All those games prior, you know, there's there's pressure moments that he's, you know, exceeded expectations. But this was just, this was a different beast by itself, and. In the moments that mattered, he showed up again. I mean, bro, I've watched it for 20 years. I mean, there's nothing else to really expect. Like, the guy just gets it done. And um, I imagine that uh, he's definitely going to remember uh, this game for a very long time, you know.
0: going yeah, to be one of the most memorable games of his career. It's the return back to the place where it all started. So you can't really um, be mad at him for having – those feelings, or kind of look at them differently, like soft. I mean, when you do something for twenty whole years, and then it all changes, you look at yourself like, "Wow, I didn't even, uh, I didn't even know this all happened so quickly." You know, time just continues to fly, and and that's where we are. And speaking of time flying, the episode must continue because we can talk about this for twenty, thirty minutes in and of itself, because that's just how much weight this game carried, especially to you. I can't even imagine the emotional aspect of how this goes.
1: before we go to the next segment, I just gotta say it. Tom, you're still on my wall, buddy. Always will. Always oh, was will. like romantic. Always will, buddy. So
0: shout out to Tom, man. The goat. I have my uh my qualms with him over the battles with the Colts, but can't take away from what it is. The guy's the goat for the reason and just another yeah. showing tonight, leading his team down to victory and
1: did what he needed to do. It, 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 bro, it was just cool to see him back in Foxborough. Just something felt right about Just something felt right about that.
0: Warm's a special place in your heart? Our boy was home. He was home. Oh, God. Here we go. So, so speaking of home, the Dallas Cowboys were home too, but they oh were God. against the Carolina Panthers, and obviously the Panthers going into this game being one of the last few undefeated teams in the NFL – And Dallas being one of the hotter teams in the league. Um, Starting off 0-1 against the Super Bowl, defending champs. And then, you know, winning two good games. One against the uh, the Titans. uh, Excuse me. One against the Chargers. And then I can't even remember what their last game was. What was that? Was the other game that they won?
1: They beat the brakes off the Eagles. Oh, right. And then that
0: absolute annihilation on Monday night that I thought was going to go in favor of the Eagles. Uh, So, yeah. The Dallas Cowboys absolutely, at, at one point, just destroyed. And I mean like, embarrassed the Panthers. It was 33 to 14 at one point. And I mean like, holy shit. Yeah. They got pretty bad pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And Trayvon Diggs, let, 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 let me start with this man. He has five total interceptions by himself. That is more than almost every single NFL team outside of one. And i the name of the team escapes me, but this one team has six interceptions. So he insane. basically, he, he is better than 31 other teams in the interception category, which is absolutely insane. So shout out to Diggs. But I mean, the Cowboys go out there and they do it again, man. They literally went out there and they did what they needed to do. They handled business. Granted, Carolina did end up coming back In the fourth quarter, they try to make it a closer game, but holy shit. The Cowboys are here, and it started with Dak Prescott's stellar play. Ezekiel Elliott ran the rock. Tony Pollard was able to come and give them absolute great carries. And from start to finish, the Cowboys got it done. So, Kyle, are the Cowboys for real this year?
1: Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it, but there's no doubt. I mean, granted, it's only week four. We still have a long way to go. But what I've seen from this team offensively, they've been phenomenal. And just to kind of focus on the offense here, I mean, once again, just a well-rounded offensive performance, you know, Dak was efficient once again, you know, granted he didn't throw for that many yards, he only threw for about 188 yards, but Kevin, he had four passing touchdowns. I mean, I don't think you could ask anything more of the guy he's efficient. He's getting it done and he's distributing the ball across the board. And not only that, the Cowboys' run game the last two weeks has just been phenomenal. Granted, it started with Philly last week on the Monday night game, and it just carried over into this game. And Ezekiel Elliott has just turned it on for this team. He had 143 yards, a touchdown. Tony Pollard came in right after. Dude, that lightning and thunder combo that they have between the two of them That is going to be a dangerous duo moving forward. If they could stay healthy, bro, opposing defenses are going to have a very difficult time stopping these two. And Kevin, I need to focus on this point. The biggest unsung hero in this game, and nobody ever mentions it, is the offensive line. Kevin, the gaps that Zeke and Tony Pollard can run through, they were literally a man or two wide. Bro, they would just get, they would get the rock. And they would shoot through it like it was nothing. They didn't even have to make a cut. Dallas' offensive line controlled this game from beginning to end. And it just established that run game in such a significant way. And even though that Carolina was up 14-13 to 13 at halftime, the Cowboys just went on a 20-0 run in the third quarter where not only was the defense getting stops, but the Cowboys were able to turn those stops into points. And the game was essentially out of reach at the end of the third quarter. I mean, the Cowboys were up 19 going into the fourth quarter. I'm not going to say the game's over, but Carolina's going to have a hell of a time getting back into it. And defensively, I just thought the Cowboys were phenomenal once again. Trayvon Diggs is just a beast. Four games in, he's got five interceptions, And he had two in this game against Sam Darnold. And to add to that, the Cowboys had five sacks. They were able to bring constant pressure against Sam Darnold the entire day. And defensively, if they can keep this up, this is going to be a very tough team to beat. Because their defense has always been the point of contention in the last couple years. The offense has been able to get it done for the most part. It's just the defense has really been Leaky. They've been giving up so many points the last couple of years. That's generous. But they've really rounded out this unit very well. And that's despite the fact that they're hurt. They have a lot of players that are not even playing on this team right now. Like DeMarcus Lawrence is one, for example. That He's going to be out for another probably month and a half. You know, they've established themselves as the best team in the NFC East. But I have to be honest with you. They're probably like a top three or four team in the NFC. You know, I have probably the Cardinals, the Rams, and the Bucks, maybe the Packers kind of like in that mix. But the Cowboys are definitely a top-five team in the NFC, and you can make a very good case that they're top-five, top-ten team in the league across the board. So, give a lot of credit to Dallas. They showed up. This is kind of one of those games that I think a lot of people would expect Dallas to kind of falter under the pressure. But they sh- they shine today, bro. And they beat an undefeated team in the Carolina Panthers. Granted, the Panthers may have been a little bit overhyped just based on who they had played the first 3 weeks, but this is a huge win for Dallas and um this is definitely a team to contend with. Dude. There's no doubt about it. The number that I have
0: to circle because I've realized I'm 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 that guy that I always need to circle something from the game is the yards per carry for the Dallas Cowboys, 7.2. They ran the ball for 245 yards. Like, Carolina's defense could not stop anything today. Like the, like Kyle said, the, the Dallas Cowboys offensive line absolutely controlled the line of scrimmage, and they made sure that their presence was known. Mike, 7.2 yards per carry as a team? i grant that only three people rushed the ball, but that includes Dak's scrambles, four for 35 yards. But my seven-point, Kyle, that's huge. It's basically almost an entire first down just running the ball. Like, you hand the ball off, it's almost going for the whole thing, the whole 10 yards. Absolutely insane. And I just – and Dak was untouched. Dak had no – Dak was not sacked one time. The Carolina defense before this game – was legitimately ranked number one in almost every single statistical category. And they were just mopped off the face of the earth. And to switch topics on from defense to defense, like Kyle said, the Dallas Cowboy defense and Trayvon Diggs or Traquan Diggs need – It's It's Trayvon. Okay, I was right. Need to be given some respect. And Lord knows when those injuries do recover and those players do come back, this defense, low-key, could end up being a top-ten defense in the league. I mean, if Trayvon's going to go out there and have an interception every single game, he's on pace for damn near fucking like 18 picks this season. <laughs> so, they're playing very well. The offense is getting it done. They're running the ball effectively, and they're just limiting the turnovers as well. Dak had no interceptions. That's four touchdowns, no interceptions, and only 188 yards. It's what you need to do to win football games. Granted, they did allow that 14th 14.4th quarter, but some would argue that's garbage time and, you know, Dallas took their foot off the gas pedal, so you can make an argument that gal I keep saying Dallas. what the hell, you could make the argument that Dallas, um, I don't even know where my train of thought was going with that, oh my god, the point is, Dallas could have made this a lot worse for Carolina, and I felt like they kind of like eased up a bit, and that's why Carolina was able to claw their way back into the game. But I agree with Kyle completely. Definitely a top five team in the NFC. You can make the argument top 10 in the NFL, but they're doing what they need to do. And they're definitely doing it on one side when they weren't expected to. And that's the defensive end. So shout out to Dallas's defense. Shout out to the defensive coordinator. Uh, Oh my God. He was the head coach of the Falcons, Dan Quinn. Mm -hmm. He has changed everything about this defense. They went and drafted six defensive players in last year's draft. And they're all coming out to play, man. That whole next man up concept is coming out very well for Dallas. So we will see what happens as the week uh, as the year progresses. But I'm not going to get too hyped because every time you do, Dallas is like the Mets and a couple of other teams. They win a few games and everyone's like, oh, we're going to the Super Bowl. I give them their credit. They're playing great football. But there's still a whole season left to go. And there is a lot to prove.
1: Yeah, but I think just the way that they've started, bro, they've just – they've got off to a great start. And I just can't believe how well this defense has played and the amount of turnovers that they're forcing. I I remember in that week one matchup against the Bucks, even though that they lost that game, they forced four turnovers against the Buccaneers. I mean, as a, as a defense, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. And they got to Brady as well. So, granted, I think they took that week one loss very well. They didn't get too psychologically beat down from that one. And they've just kind of taken this ride, this three game winning streak um, in stride. I think it's indicative of where this team could go. I think this team has, con- there's a de- there's definitely a confidence with this team that I haven't seen from them in the past. And I think it really kind of starts from the defense. I think finally, the defense has the confidence to be able to make these plays And not only that, they're getting it from unsung heroes because big-name players are still out dealing with injuries. You know, like Micah Parsons is one in particular. I mean, he's off to a really good start this year. And granted, I know a lot of the focus is on Trayvon Diggs with the amount of interceptions that he's had in the first couple games. But Micah Parsons, he's going to be a huge playmaker for Dallas in the upcoming future. So I think Dallas is... Definitely established themselves as one of the best teams in the NFC so far. Granted, it's kind of a it's kind of a big pack of teams that are really at the top of the NFC right now. But uh, you have to give them credit. They definitely deserve to be at the top of the list when it comes to the best teams in the NFC. And um, that was a big win against an undefeated Carolina Panthers team.
0: Oh, yeah. And just that we talked about Michael Parsons. I want to just close up on that really quick. I don't think people understand how difficult it is to change positions mid-rookie year. Micah was playing linebacker for the majority of his high school and collegiate career, if not his whole. They moved into defensive end this season. So it takes a special kind of athlete to not only adjust to the next level, but to switch a position in which you've probably never played before or did not play many snaps at, at the next level. It's absolutely incredible, and I think that that, uh, that shows a whole different level of intensity and athleticism for you to go into that position and dominate as well. So shout out to Micah Parsons for going out there and taking that next step.
1: It's too bad that Dak got hurt last year because what we're seeing from Dak this year is what we were going to get from him last year. And we saw that kind of up to the point where he had that terrible leg break against the Giants. And um, I tell you what, he has bounced back in an incredible way. So he's definitely kind of – he's definitely toughed out um, getting through a big injury like that. And he is just firing on all cylinders. And trust me, this offense is humming right now. Do you know yeah. who's firing on all cylinders right now? Who is that? Guy? Do you have any – do, do you
0: have any idea who's firing on all cylinders? That's the fucking Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray. Dude,
1: They're 37 crazy, crazy. to 20
0: in SoFi? Thirty-seven to
1: twenty? Kevin, that was another prediction where we just absolutely shit the bet on that one.
0: Thirty-seven? Uh, Bro, they dropped thirty-seven on Ramsey and Aaron Donald's forehead in their own house.
1: Kevin, it was we... thir- it, it was thirty-seven to thirteen. With like two minutes, like like with like about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. It was a three possession game. The game was just out of reach. Kevin, just take it away, man. Take it away.
0: Dude, the Arizona Cardinals literally go into SoFi, and it was the battle of the unbeaten, and Kyler Murray and Matthew Stafford, two MVP front runners as of right this moment, and they went head-to-head, and it was just not the way that we expected. Once again, we, we should probably stop doing predictions because, man, we're fucking awful. Our percentage would be like under 40% of accuracy, because we suck this year. But ma- that just goes to show any given Sunday, man. Exactly. We would pick we would pick a, a, a favorite based off of statistics or just an urge or just a gut feeling of like, oh, we think this print it doesn't matter. They said screw your gut feeling, don't doubt the Cardinals again. Holy, Kyler Murray, 24 of 32, two touchdowns. He was sacked three times, but he did have a, a passer rating of 120.3. Chase Edmonds on the ground, a buck 20 for 10 yards to carry by himself. Every time he touched the ball, he was gone. He did have a 54-yard breakout early on, but nevertheless, the Cardinals' offense was humming. They did what they needed to do, and they did it effectively. 37 points on one of the league's most gifted defenses and in one of the newest, if not the newest stadium outside of Vegas. Holy shit, Kyler Murray went in there, diced it up, and he had absolutely no problem with doing it in the air and on the ground. I mean, Kyler also had 39 yards rushing, but an unsung hero here, A.J. Green had 67 yards and a touchdown. And that touchdown was pretty solid going up and getting that ball over that corner in L.A. But overall, I I, I think that this really showed Arizona is probably the best team in the NFC right this very moment. And I don't want to say that it's close. I'm not disrespecting the other teams. I'm not saying that the Rams can't come back and win their next matchup, which is eventually going to happen because they are division rivals. But as of right now, if the season were to end today, the Arizona Cardinals are the best team in the NFC, and I don't think it's close. I think that they're they're capitalizing on both sides of the football, both defensively and offensively, and they made adjustments. They understood what the assignment was and how accurate and deadly that uh, LA offense was, and they came prepared. Granted, they didn't sack Matthew Stafford, so the turnover ratio really only was that one interception that Stafford have, and the fumble on Sony Michelle. but, dude, Arizona the real deal, man. Kyler was really going out there saying, carry this on my back real quick.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, Kevin, I'll take it one step further. I think they're the best team in the NFL right now. Because when I look at this game in particular, the Rams were probably the best team in the league going into this matchup. They had a phenomenal Week 3 win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where they essentially wiped the floor with Tampa. They handled them pretty convincingly. And I thought it was going to be more the same from L.A. against the Cardinals. But the way that it works on Sundays is that didn't turn out to be the case. The Cardinals were outstanding from beginning to end in this game. And it's kind of the, one of the things that I was kind of focusing on going into this matchup, because even though they, they were three and O they've had some performances where they've been really good for one half of football. And then in the other half of the football game, they've kind of struggled or they've kind of taken their foot off the pedal. But the main factors behind this win today was First of all, they didn't turn the ball over. They had probably one of the most offensive, balanced performances in all of week four. And they were able to turn the Rams' turnovers into points. And even though that I think Kyler Murray is one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen in the NFL this year, one of the issues that he's had is turning the ball over. It's been one of the very few issues that he's had, uh, to say more specifically. And even though he's thrown four interceptions through the first four games of the season and going up against a really good Rams defense. He didn't turn the ball over whatsoever today. He was great against them. He was efficient. He was able to extend the plays with his feet and he was able to dice up that Rams secondary fairly easily. And to kind of add to the offensive performance that they had, the balanced attack from the run game was apparent. The fact that they were able to get over 200 yards rushing on the ground, like you mentioned, uh, Chase Edmonds had about 120 yards on the ground. You combine that with some carries from James Conner, Kyler Murray extending plays with his feet. You combine that with the 268 yards and two touchdowns that Kyler threw in the air. That's a phenomenal performance against a really good defense in the Rams. Probably one of the best offensive performances I've seen all year. And defensively, I thought the Cardinals were sensational in slowing down the Rams offense for basically the entire game. They were able to pick off Matt Stafford in the first half, along with stripping the ball from Sonny Michelle. And they turned those turnovers into touchdowns. And the Cardinals held the Rams to 13 points until the third quarter and for most of the fourth quarter. So when you look at playing a full 60 minutes, the Cardinals did that from beginning to end today. They're currently sitting at 4-0. And granted, it might be prisoner of the moment, but I think this is the best team in the NFL. Find me another team. Don't worry, I'll wait. Hey, man, you make a valid point. I was trying to just kind
0: of keep it in the realm of the a- uh, NFC, but they did it, man. They they went out. In, that's the biggest thing to me is we've been hyping up this Rams team, and, I mean, they've been doing it on all fronts, and obviously last week was a big statement game, beating the mm-hmm. defending Super Bowl champions. And We thought that this division battle was going to be a tough one, but man, for Arizona to flip the script, change the narrative, and then dominate them on their home field, and by them, I mean the Rams, what a game. I wish I would have been able to watch this. I'm one of those people that doesn't have cable, so I was watching on my phone on a streaming service, and it continued to cut in and out, so every time I would see something, it would reverse or rewind or whatever. So... I wasn't able to watch it consistently. I saw flashes. I saw the touchdown to AJ Green. I did see Matt Stafford throw that touchdown to Van Jefferson. You know, shout out to Van Jefferson, former Gator. Uh, but overall, man, what a game. I cannot wait for the rematch. Obviously, the NFC West is the most competitive division in football. So whenever these, any of these four teams combat against one another, they're always phenomenal games. And I just look like to see how the Rams adjust and can Arizona keep it going. What what a game this was in general, and it's funny because Chandler Jones nor um, J.J. Watt were able to get a sack, which is kind of That's showing crazy. the it, – it, not only crazy, but it does show the kudos to the Rams' offensive line. Obviously, like I said, Stafford not being sacked at all, but turnovers were crucial, and the Rams lost the turnover battle. Usually in turn, that usually means that they're going to lose a football game, but – it's on to next week, and that's what both teams need to uh, need to remember.
1: One more point about the Rams. Uh, the Rams kind of looked like the Bucs from last week. The Bucs offensively were able to move the ball up and down the field. It's just that they couldn't punch it in the end zone. And the Rams today, they had some drives where they were able to move the ball down the field, but the drives just stalled out. And that's kind of the thing in probably the first month of the season is, you know, teams can be able to, you know, get a couple first downs. But once they get into that other team's territory, they just can't put a couple of plays together to get them not only into the red zone, but put them in for a potential touchdown. And I think that's just kind of one of the things that you're going to see just through the first you know four weeks of the season. Just teams are able to kind of get drives going, but they just stall out. And that's what happened to the Rams today. They just had drives that stalled out. But you got to give... A lot of credit to the Cardinals' defense. That Cardinals' secondary has been shaky, to say the least, in some of the games Mm -hmm. that they've played this year. But I mean, to be able to hold the Rams to 13 points for basically most of the game, outside of maybe one garbage time touchdown, dude, they came to play today. And I don't think it's really that much of a controversial statement to say that at this current moment, that they're the best team in the NFL. That is prisoner in a moment. I totally understand that, but. I think it's well-deserved. I think, you know, to kind of, like, close out, like, the first month of the season, I think they definitely deserve that top spot.
0: Hey, when you talk about prisoner of the moment, this next game, uh, I can't say prisoner of the moment, but I can definitely say somebody feeling like they a prisoner in their own house, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger losing to the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers by the score of 17-27. to 27. And I know what you're probably thinking, what do you mean by prisoner? And I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is stuck. And I don't know if it's because of the play calling or his inability to roll or move in the pocket or just complete throws that he used to. But we're not looking at the same Ben Roethlisberger from years past, and it visibly shows. So, I mean, Kyle, one in three. We're just in the playoffs last year. What is going on in Pittsburgh? And I'm assuming that they are definitely in panic mode.
1: I wouldn't say outright panic, but the level of concern is definitely rising. So I always kind of look at it like this. The first four seasons, not the first four seasons, the first four weeks of the season, I think is by and large an extension of the preseason. Teams are still trying to figure out personnel and putting those personnel pieces in the proper groupings. And we're four games in, and we're going into the month of October. But the Steelers' offense just looks so awful. I mean, granted, you know, they looked a little bit better this week than they did last week, but Ben looks like he's done. I'm just going to outright say it. He just doesn't have it anymore. And when you look at this offensive performance in particular, you know, grads had been through for about 220, 225 yards in this game, but the biggest stat to me is, dude, they did not run the football. They had 62 yards of rush offense from there from Najee Harris and maybe some backup running backs. Now this team is so one-dimensional. Defenses just know how to scheme against them because they know that, by and large. 60 to 70% of the plays that Pittsburgh is going to run are going to be pass plays. And until Pittsburgh makes an adjustment to where they run the ball more effectively and they actually make an effort to do so, this team is going to not only struggle, they're going to struggle mightily. You know, granted they did win that week one matchup against the bills and even that win was ugly. But these last three games, they have looked just dude. They are just tough to watch right now. And just to kind of put it on the flip side here, Green Bay looks like they're world beaters. You know, after taking that week one loss by 35 points against the Saints, they flipped the script. They're on a three-game win streak. Aaron Rodgers is lighting it up. His connection with Devontae Adams and his wideouts, they've been on point. They're getting good run production as well. And they look like they're going to be a real good threat to contend with in the NFC. And it's just kind of like, it's just really like the antithesis of what the Steelers are. You know, the Packers are doing great, and the Steelers look like hell. So, granted, there are still 13 games left in the season. There's a lot of time left for Pittsburgh to make up this ground. But, dude, they're in a division with three teams ahead of them that are at 3-1. The Bengals are 3-1, and one, the Ravens are 3-1, and one, and the Browns are 3-1. and one.
0: Such a weird way to put it when you you say that out loud.
1: The Steelers need to get it together. Granted, they got to turn up the urgency and they got to do it quick because if they don't, they could be in a situation where they're going to be not only sub 500. They could be looking at like a top five, top 10 draft pick if they can't get this right. Because the defense, I'm still of the mindset, is very good, but not when the offense is doing BS like this. This is squarely on the offense. And if they can't fix this, dude, they're in real trouble. I'll give them maybe another week or two before I go into panic mode with them. But right now, yeah, my level of concern with the Steelers is rising. And they need to do something quick to kind of stem the tide of that.
0: So here's my thing with Pittsburgh. And here's why I say they are in panic mode, right? They don't have an option outside of Ben. You already saw what Mason Rudolph is going to put out there, and you know what you're going to get from Dwayne Haskins. Dobbs, whatever his name is, from Tennessee. Joshua Dobbs. Again, not anybody that has true NFL experience, but when you really look at the QB depth chart in Pittsburgh, you know that Ben, sadly, is your best option, and this is not a good option. So I apologize. My dog is currently finding many ways to frustrate the hell out of me and chewing a toy right on my chair. Um, But, yeah, so I'm in panic mode because you know what you have with Ben. You're not winning football games. Your defense is single-handedly keeping you in most of these games because, in my my opinion, this game could have been a, a shit ton worse if their defense wasn't as good as they are. Because they had three sacks on Aaron Rodgers, they were able to hold Aaron Rodgers in certain settings, and they kept Pittsburgh within a 10-point game. I mean, for God's sakes, once again, Najee Harris was at the top of the targets list. Deontay Johnson had 13 targets, Juju Smith-Schuster had 8, and then Najee had 7. Ben Roethlisberger has a QBR of 43.7 in this game. He threw the ball for an average of 5.8 yards per attempt. That is atrocious. You're either living through the check down or you're living through the slants and the ins and or outs. But the point of the matter is Ben can't move the ball. Ben can't move his feet. And the offensive line is atrocious. Like Kyle said, also 3.9 yards per carry, 62 total rushing yards, 16 total attempts, 15 of them by Najee. Dude. Pittsburgh has no idea what it is that they're doing. The only consistency is that defense, but you are going to absolutely burn them out if the offense can't put points on the board and capitalize on some of these opportunities. If I get my offense the ball several times and they're not able to put up any points or a lackluster amount of points, I mean, for God's sakes, Pitt started the game um, 7 nothing. They held Aaron Rodgers to zero points, and then Aaron Rodgers turned it on and obviously scored 27 in the freaking second and third quarter together because Green Bay didn't score in the fourth, which, again, shows, to my point, Pitt's defense is legitimately carrying them into the games that they have and keeping them as close as they are because offensively, Mike Tomlin and that team just cannot get anything together. And when you're unable to run the football, you don't have a backup plan and you can't consistently uh, throw the ball and put it in the air like you're used to. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is known for his his big body and being able to rotate and get out of sacks and like kind of like extend plays. But if you can't put the ball down the field, which is what you're literally known for for the majority of your career, I think that that is absolutely insane. And I think that Pittsburgh needs to go to the drawing board and figure out if playing Ben Roethlisberger for the rest of the year is going to bode well for them I mean he's averaging like over 35 attempts per game another game where he's thrown the ball 40 plus times so if you want him to make it to the end of the season I think you really need to incorporate a run game or you need to make a move in by the trade deadline or in this coming free agency or the draft and redraft that offensive line Mm -hmm. one in three disgusting and the fact that everybody in your division is three and one including the Bengals who have been the butt of the division for the last i don't know 5 years doesn't bode well for Pittsburgh and i don't know if it's going to get any better because it doesn't look like Pittsburgh's willing to change anything cuz they've been doing the same thing for the last 4 weeks
1: it starts up front for me you know i remember we were talking a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys um in one of our Previous statements just a couple of minutes ago, and we were talking about just how physically dominant they were against the Carolina Panthers, um, in that Week Four matchup. When I look at what the Steelers have offensively for their um O line, bro, it sucks. That's why they're not running the ball. They just have no confidence because I think it's kind of a well known fact that their offensive line really has struggled, and they are one of the more weaker offensive lines that a team is able to field this year. So that kind of leaves yourself in a situation where you're just entirely dependent on big Ben to kind of carry you. But the fact of the matter is it just leaves your offense. So one dimensional and Ben can't do it like that anymore. He, he can't carry this team. Like he w- used to like a decade plus or, you know, five years ago, just can't do it anymore. Granted, you know, you look at somebody like the Buffalo bills. Okay. And how much they rely on Josh Allen. You know, they're throwing the ball at least 60 to 70% of the time. But Josh Allen is in his 20s. He hasn't accrued the time and the tenure that Big Ben has. And I just think that, bro, the the hits on Ben, they're adding up. And I think at this point, I'm going to kind of agree with you to a certain extent. I don't know if he's going to be able to get through the season. I, no. I think I think what's eventually going to happen, and, you know, God forbid this happens to him, I just think it's going to be one hit. And that might be it. We saw it with Drew Brees last year. Drew Brees took one hit and he cracked 12 rips. And, you know, I am not I am not praying for Big Ben to get him. No, no, not no, not, no, no, not, no, no. You're making the point.
0: That. It's
1: the truth, though. It it's genuinely just, it's is. It's just the game is, so, the game is still violent. I know they still protect the quarterback. But these hits, they just add up, and all it takes is one. It's all it takes.
0: Dude, and Ben how, has with, had— with how,
1: with how brittle he is right now, it may not take much.
0: Ben, he, ben has had a really good offensive line for the majority of his career, right? Mm-hmm. Ben has also been a durable quarterback in terms of playing through injuries. Like I said in our last episode, take it from someone who's had a shitty offensive line— up until the last recent two two or three years since we've drafted Quentin Nelson, mm-hmm. bro, that ruins careers. That ends careers. Andrew Luck is a prime example, and I know Andrew is a whole lot younger and it's a whole different situation, but if you're consistently relying on his arm to bail you out of situations to make up for the lack of an offensive line, mm-hmm. you're going to get your quarterback injured, you're going to lose football games, and... It's not a formula for success, bro. You can't run the ball. You're not going to win a football game. You're not going to continue. I mean, for God's sakes, TJ Watt just signed this massive deal. And he's now stuck in Pittsburgh because he knows that literally he is the only reason amongst other players on that side of the ball that is keeping this offense together. And they just can't get it going. And I think Mike Tomlin low-key might be on the hot seat if they continue to lose because this is on him in the front office for making this. This exception, I mean, giving Ben what fifteen million dollars to come back this year—big, steep financially. You guys weren't really in a place where you could afford that. I mean, you signed Dwayne Haskins this off-season too, but ooh, like that. What, what was that going to do?
1: Is Dwayne Haskins really your guy in the future?
0: No. And if you if you were worried, right? If you if you knew that Ben was owed a certain amount of money this season, and you came to a point where you were able to cut that a total in half. You should have diverted that, those funds to either building an offensive line, getting a piece. There are plenty of offensive linemen available this free agency, or you go out there and you pay a backup quarterback, a good backup quarterback, somebody that we know that has experience, that has been successful with that experience. Not Mason Rudolph being absolute dog shit last season. Not Dwayne Haskins who absolutely pissed away his career in Washington and the way he was acting and his irresponsibility and his lack of performance with being a top lottery pick. Your quarterback room is absolutely horrible. And then your star player, one of your best franchise players in history, is damn near 58 years old, but you want him to go out there and put up 25, 30 points a game. It's not a formula for success, and I think Mike Tomlin in the front office is solely responsible
1: and it's going to leave quite a question for the offseason going into you know the after the end of the year. You know, granted there's still time that they could figure this out, but it's like a question oh, yeah. ha- you know the questions that are going to arise from this, okay, well what part of the offense do we fix first? And from what I see there's two things colliding at the same time. You got Ben who's on his way out after this season cuz he's done after this year. They it's over. And trying to fix the offensive line. So I imagine they're gonna be looking in the draft to really bolster this offensive line. Or quarterback. But no, I think they're gonna do both. It's just that what do you want to spend your top of the line draft capital on? Because you're gonna have a first round pick to work with.
0: Yeah. But
1: what are you gonna use it for? Gonna use it for an offensive lineman or are you gonna use it for your a possible quarterback replacement after Ben's done. So like if you look at the Patriots, you know, they went into this draft looking to get Mac Jones and they were able to get them able to get Mac. And even despite the fact that, you know, he's going through his growing pains. He's shown enough promise and potential as long as he stays upright and he remains healthy, that he's got a promising career in the NFL. But you look at Pittsburgh, even if you bring a new quarterback into the fold, you bring him into a situation where that offensive line is just weak. It's inept. And Kevin, you of all people know what happens when you have an inept, weak offensive line. Your quarterback's going to get destroyed. Joe Burrow got destroyed last year, shredded his. And
0: deep. it showed. It showed you didn't have one, and it cost him. It's,
1: it's just one of those things that I cannot stress this enough. How important an offensive line is. Hell, you can even go back to the Super Bowl last year when the Chiefs were playing against the Buccaneers. The Chiefs were missing two. Of their offensive starting offensive linemen. And the Bucks front seven just had their way with them the entire game. Pat was running for his life the entire game. If you don't have an offensive line, your team's going to go nowhere. So, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, you got to look at bolstering this offensive line going into the draft. Possibly bringing some free agents. To go along with possibly replacing Big Ben after this year. So, they got a lot to work with here. But, um...
0: Well, they, they, they lost the Pouncy brother, right? He retired. Yep. And then they lost Andre Villanueva to a division rival, nonetheless, to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I don't know enough about their offensive line in depth, but I do know that two of those players are pro bowlers. Mm-hmm. One was your blind side and one was your starting center for the last decade. So you lose two pillars like that. And I mean, who's to say that, you know, they weren't destined to fail right from the get go. But, I mean, there was a team in our next topic that was projected to fail. And I mean, fail pretty heavily. But that's not the case this year. The Las Vegas Raiders are one of the last undefeated teams in the NFL. And they are going head-to-head with another division matchup against the L.A. Chargers. Now, I know it's in L.A., so at SoFi Stadium. Um, We're talking about one of the potential best games of the year thus far. And again, it's on a Monday night. Again, shout out to ESPN for the schedule because these games have been immaculate. But Kyle, I got to ask you, bro. Justin Herbert, Derek Carr have been playing lights out football. Mm -hmm. The Raiders are shocking the world and the Chargers are looking to make a name for themselves. Can this AFC West showdown live up to the hype? And can these quarterbacks put on a
1: show? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you look at what Justin Herbert was able to do against the Chiefs last week, he was sensational. I remember we were talking about uh, that matchup before it took place. Uh, One of the things that I've always been kind of concerned with with Justin Herbert is that he is turnover prone. He is prone to throwing interceptions, not just one, but multiple interceptions in the games that he plays. But last week in particular against the Chiefs, he really kind of shocked me with how well-rounded he was in that performance against Kansas City. And I do think that he can carry that type of performance into week four against the Raiders. I Granted, the Chargers are at home. They're 2-1. and one, And this is a huge game for them because the Chiefs just won their Sunday matchup against the Eagles. And the Chargers are looking at this situation like, okay, if we win this game, we're essentially at the top of the AFC West when I don't think anybody was expecting that. Cause I think everybody was expecting that Kansas city was just going to roll through this division fairly easily without a lot of competition to work with. I guess people were maybe thinking that the chargers could give them some sort of a shot, but a lot, a lot of people were thinking that this was going to be the chiefs division. And that the kind of like focus or really kind of like double down on the not expecting what's taken place so far It's the Las Vegas Raiders. And just how effective Derek Carr has been. Derek Carr has been one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen this entire year. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't see that coming. But the Raiders are putting up points against every team that they've played against so far. They scored 33 against the Ravens in Week 1. They scored 26 on the road against Pittsburgh in Week 2. They scored 31 uh, at home in Week 3 against the Dolphins. And you're going up against a Chargers team that can give up points. They did give up about 25 points to the Chiefs last week. Great that they had a decent defensive performance against the Cowboys. But I do think that Derek Carr can find some exploits in this defense that the Chargers have. So this is going to be a great quarterback matchup. And Kevin, just to kind of kick it to you, um, What do you think the game is going to end up being? Do you see this going in favor of the Raiders, or do you see this going in favor of the Chargers?
0: If I'm going to be honest, I have the Chargers solely because of the defensive ability of one player, Dante Samuel Jr. The man has made his presence known all over the field, and he's living up to his father's name, and he is just everywhere, creating havoc with pass deflections, great coverage. I mean, you name it, he's there. I mean, Derwin James on that side of the field as well. I just believe that the overall defensive capabilities of the Chargers is that much better. And, I mean, they're in for a a big matchup this week. Obviously, uh, Darren Waller, obviously um, Ruggs, and uh, Brian Edwards have been playing absolutely out of their mind. Josh Jacobs is questionable.
1: Hunter Renfro has been kind of nice for the Raiders. So Hunter
0: Renfro is, is like a third down favorite, kind of like a, a younger Wes Welker. I mean, a lot of players are just saying that he is kind of like slept on and he creates separation. He's fast. He's got reliable hands. So he's kind of like, excuse me, more like they're Cole Beasley. That's a little bit more comparable. Cause I mean, Wes Welker was one of the best, if not the best slot receiver in NFL history, uh, neither here nor there, but I mean, Justin Herbert's hot. He's coming off of a great division game against Patrick Mahomes It is a home game for them. Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, and Keenan Allen have been playing very well, and they're healthy right now, knock on wood. I'm not taking away from the Raiders' success. I'm not taking away from the fact that they're in a place that nobody, including myself and you, saw them being in. But I just think, genuinely, Justin Herbert's better than Derek, and and I just think he's got a better arm. I think that offensively they have more weapons, and I think that their defense is playing better than the Raiders is. I mean... I don't know. Again, that's just my opinion. But, dude, Asante Samuel Jr. is not – you know I'm a defensive guy. Bro, he's nice. And Derwin James on the – being back from the torn meniscus last year, bro, that secondary is totally different. Totally different than it was last year. And I love watching them
1: play. Yeah, I'm going to be in agreement with you on this one. I just like the way that the Chargers are going right now. You know, they had that big win on the road against Casey where I don't think a lot of people were expecting um, the Chargers to roll in there and to get that win because I think a lot of people were kind of shocked by the fact that the the Chiefs had that kind of surprise loss to the Ravens on the road by one point. But then it was even more of a surprising loss that they lost to the Chargers right after that. And it just kind of goes to show that Justin Herbert has taken that second year leap. He is a lot more confident than he was last year, even though I thought last year he's He definitely showed me a lot of flashes that he has a lot of potential uh, in the years coming forward for him. And I just think that he's going to be able to light up this Raiders defense. I don't know why. I don't know why, but... Word.
0: I had that same feeling. I don't really have an explanation to it, but I just...
1: I think it's just... I think he's going to get a huge confidence boost boost from that, that Chiefs game that he had. And as long as he doesn't turn the ball over... And he's relatively safe with his passes, you know, as long as he stays efficient. I think the Chargers win this one relatively close. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. I still think that the, that the Raiders have a very good shot to win this game. So that's not to discredit the Raiders in any way, shape, or form. It's just, I'm going with the kid here. Great that I know Derek Carr's had a phenomenal season so far. And it's kind of surprised everybody. But I think they take their first loss of the season. I think they keep it close. But I think the Chargers kind of pull away in the fourth quarter that did make the difference. I think the win by about I think six or seven points. I think it'll only be a one position game when it's all said and done, but I'm going to go with the chargers on this one. And it would be really yeah. cool because you know, you got the Raiders and the chargers at the top of the AFC West after week four. And nobody saw that coming. Nobody.
0: No, not even, not even remotely close. I mean, the fact that, you know, Denver is in the position that they're in as well, but we're not going to get into that game. We just don't have time. I will say the only way, that Vegas has a chance is they have to run the ball like they have been all season. Mm -hmm. That means Peyton Barber. That means Kenyon Drake, Josh Jacobs are going to have to be dominant. And uh, I almost said Oakland, Vegas is going to have to move the front four of LA in order to establish the line of scrimmage dominance, which is going to create play action. And is going to make life a lot easier for Derek Carr in those three to five step drops. And he's going to be able to poke holes like he has been in defenses all season. I mean, for God's sakes, the man has 1,200 yards already and six touchdowns. That is absolutely incredible. So once again, Oakland's got to establish dominance. They have to run the football. And then it'll be a lot closer. And again, I I mean, to be a lot closer than six points is three points, if not a tie game. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I believe that the Rams, excuse me, wow, I saw L.A., um, the chargers are favored by 3 so i wouldn't be surprised this game literally comes down to the final possession and first person to have a turnover or at least turnover in the quarter because i do expect there to be some interceptions thrown just because both defenses haven't playing very well um i think the the uh the most recent turnover if not the first turnover will lead to the victory
1: i think so i think it's going to be a good be, one though i think it's going to be a great game I'm just, I'm just kind of like looking at Twitter and I was, I was seeing some of the, uh, the, uh, the Patriot Bucks, uh, post game stuff. And I was, um, seeing a tweet that, um, that Belichick went into the, uh, the Buccaneers locker room and had a 20 to like 25 minute conversation with Brady. Wow. So, swallowed his pride and said, you know what? Let me what, go talk. Well, I, th- what they did was they kind of did like a quick, like, hug on the field after the game was over. Um, but I think it was kind of in, I think he, they kind of mentioned, or I think Belichick maybe mentioned to Brady, it's like, you know, we'll talk when we get back to the locker room. Yeah. It had and, to be a little um,
0: bit more personable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think Brady Personal. was asked about, yeah, Brady was asked about, um about that. And I think, um I think that they're just going to keep that a private matter. And they should. That's the That's a conversation. It's like, look, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go too long with this, but. People forget that Belichick was his coach for 20 years. Belichick was the guy that drafted him. And to maintain that type of relationship that they had for that long, I mean, it's the longest relationship that I've ever seen with a quarterback and a coach. And not one in the coach. NFL. It's the longest relationship I've seen in all sports. And was it perfect the entire time? No, and I imagine that they had their disagreements. But I don't believe, like, these little disagreements that people kind of spout off in the media here and there overcome everything that their relationship entailed from beginning to end. And the thing is, you know, they grew up, to, they grew, like, together. You know, obviously, Bill was a, was a huge success of, he was a huge successful coach defensively. And then Brady was kind of like that quarterback on the rise. But Belichick was the one that measured him through the entire way. And I just I, – I find it a little disrespectful that people are so quick to discredit Belichick as, oh, he wanted Brady out of the way. He didn't think anything of Brady at the end. I'm like, what are you talking Dude, people about?
0: people fishing, bro. That's what the it, media it, does. It, it,
1: it's, bro, it's just so disrespectful. It That's really dumb. is. dumb.
0: Then you uh, wonder why I am the way that I am about the media, bro. They love to spin narratives. They love to fish for information, and they will ask an athlete – the same question 50 times until he has a negative or she has a negative reaction. And they're like, oh, so-and-so blows up in media, can't handle, you know what I'm saying? They'll spin that narrative, but they won't mention the fact that they asked him like a hundred times that same exact question that they denied to, to, to answer. But again, that's, that's neither here nor there. We know that Belichick and Tom Brady mm-hmm. are both professionals. We know that they love each other to a certain extent. And without one or the other, their dominance over the last two decades probably would have never happened. You can't I mean, have I, 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 I wouldn't have been complaining, but you know, it's neither here nor there. Also,
1: they would have never had the same success if you get rid of one or the other.
0: Exactly. No, so
1: they, um, but people, obviously but people, have a lot to talk about. So, but people are quick to forget that because they want to say, "Oh, one's better. One's better than the other." And I'm like, "Bro, they you know what each you,
0: you know what's better than the other? What the fact that we have gone up in subscribers from 219." to 223 in the last four days. Yeah, we have. So I just needed to throw that out there because I, I, I don't know why I just legit – I was like, oh, my God, we've literally been growing exponentially over the last three weeks. But, uh, dude, the, 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 the narrative that, that, that everyone wants to spend on this topic with Brady and Belichick, the fact that it, it literally wasn't even about the Bucks and Patriots most of the week – was so annoying to constantly read or see a video or something. Can we talk about the game, bro? I feel like AI. Can we talk about the game and not these two people? It's so much bigger than them, man. Like I understand the narrative and why, because it's, it's just what you think about, but dude, we had a great football game tonight. We had an overall good matchup and a successful Sunday. But everybody wants to make it about Brady and Belichick. I just, to me, I'm not a Patriots fan at all. It's just an annoying conversation that, not we, but in general, that the meat, everybody has to talk about every five seconds, especially this week. I'm so happy it's over.
1: I know, but it just, it did hit home. I can't, I'm saying for me as a Patriot fan, it just hits home. Like I imagine when, when Peyton came back to Indy for the first time. Cried my that, eyes out. That was that's a tough one. It's just We beat him you know, though. I know. We almost did. We were literally about a foot away from winning that game.
0: You think but, if it you think if it doesn't pour rain, he hits that?
1: I think he hits that, but I think the entire game changes. I think if it doesn't no, mean like at
0: the end, if it doesn't start raining again.
1: Yeah, I think he hits that. For fifty six yeah. yards, if it, if that rain was even like fifty percent less of what it was doing at the time, yeah, I think he gets that,
0: bro. But Nick I mean, Folk
1: is like fifty years old, but bro, he hit like thirty six straight field goals before he missed that one. He hadn't missed until I, I don't think he missed a field goal for like a year, like like a season and a half, because he hadn't missed a field goal from week three on from last year. It's wild. Yeah, granted, granted, he might be old, he might be older than Brady for God's sakes. But, bro, he was getting it done. What else are you going to say? But, yeah, I mean, had it not even rained, like, um, the way that it did it in for most of the game, I think you see the more offensive high power scoring that we were kind of expecting from this game. But the rain definitely was a significant factor. And anybody that tells me different, they're just lying. Bro, I played the sport. When it rains, it just everything slows down. You just don't have the explosiveness that you typically do when it's dry. But I think that just wraps it about up, Kev. What do you think?
0: I, I think that wraps it up too, and I think Sobel's about done too because he has not stopped leaning on my feet. He wants to go to bed. So um, <laughs> I will just wrap it up by saying, guys, thank you so, so, so much for the unre- unbelievable support this last week. I mean, like I had mentioned a few moments ago with my random kind of like squirrel moment. Uh, Dude, we went from 219 subscribers on Thursday to 223 subscribers as of today. Views have been going up. I mean, consistency on all platforms has absolutely been incredible. So, I mean, none of this would be possible without you guys. So we just want to say from the bottom of our hearts, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And we cannot wait to put out content. Postseason baseball is here. Week five in the NFL is going to be another one. And then the NBA is right around the corner, two weeks away from tip-off. So if you guys – I saw the Nets and the Lakers, and I saw that the Nets busted ass. But, again, it's preseason, and Braun and Brody didn't play, so nobody really cares. But, I mean, shit, we cannot wait. If you like what we got going now, just wait until the coming weeks. It's going to get ten times better.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. So going to be in it for the long haul, my guy. We got a lot of content coming up. And, um, I mean, re- really, we're just kind of getting started with the NFL granted the NBA will start in a couple of weeks, but it's going to be, it's going to be fun for the next couple of weeks, my guy. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. I know you are. More than ever. And baseball and baseball.
0: And college basketball
1: is coming too. I mean, I know we didn't talk about it that much, but, um. What a weekend in college football. Holy shit. It really looks like I think Georgia and Alabama are just set for a collision course at this point. You
0: heard it here first. I think Georgia's going to win the national championship.
1: I think it's going to be Alabama and Georgia in the national championship. But I still am kind of leaning towards Alabama. But Georgia, bro, they got a squad. They've allowed
0: 23 points all season.
1: They demolished Arkansas. And Arkansas is the number eight team in the country, or was the number eight team in the country. I'm like, that's bad. No, Kyle, I'm... they've allowed 23 points all season,
0: and they've played multiple top 10 schools at the time of the games. Yes, they have. I. They are going to win the national championship, like, but they got to beat Bama. Bama has be... played one ranked school. They
1: played. They played. Ole
0: Miss they played Old Miss today, but they spanked them off the face of the earth. Old Miss should have never been ranked because I'm pretty sure Old Miss wasn't playing anybody either. That's the problem. With these rankings, they get so excited because they're undefeated, but they're not playing nobody. Alabama barely beat Florida. Florida just lost to Kentucky, so I'm not even going to get into what the hell Florida put me through on Saturday. The point of the matter is Georgia has probably had the hardest schedule and has had the best result thus far Mm -hmm. and has shut out two schools back to back weeks and held Clemson to Six points,
1: yeah. No, three points. But Clemson's not even that good this year.
0: But I'm saying in general, at the time in which Clemson was highly favored and ranked, Georgia absolutely shut that down, Mm -hmm. bro. Georgia's by far better than Alabama in almost every statistical category that isn't on the offensive side.
1: I don't dispute that. It's just that Alabama's at the king is basically king of the hill right now, and Georgia's got to knock them off. That's just how I see it. Georgia's definitely. (laughs) a team that I think can contend with Alabama. It's just, they got to beat them. And Georgia, and the only old, time
0: we'll see that it, is going to be in the national championship.
1: Because Kevin, no, because here's the thing. Georgia has been so close a couple of times. They've been so close and um, they just find ways, just find new ways to get so close and then they lose. Dude, it's different
0: it, though, man. This is this is they, they got a squad. you know, they, this is dominant
1: defense, bro. This is they,
0: dominating they, they,
1: defense. They, this kind of reminds me of Bama's defense from last year, because Bama had a squad defensively last year. Yeah, but, but
0: they let they let, they let up a lot of points to a lot of schools. I mean, for God's sake,s they gave they let Florida have thirty eight.
1: But they still, won. They won it all when it was all said. I know.
0: I, I know. It,
1: it, when push comes to
0: shove, Bama, you don't bet against Nick Saban in Alabama. But this year, I'm just saying, Georgia I'm looks saying,
1: like a uh, woof. But I'm saying, like, that psychological impact that, okay, we got to beat Bama as far as Georgia's concerned. You still got to get past the fact that you're going up against arguably, what, the best team in college football that's been around for, what, the last decade? But so, I think I
0: think Georgia's done losing to them. That's the point I'm trying to make. I think I think Kirby true. and those boys are absolutely fed up, and they're ready to just say, "We're coming for you, Nick. Coming for you, Bama. Y'all yeah. better get ready, bro." Back to back shutouts is enough for me, man.
1: If they can't get it against them this year, I don't think it ain't gonna it, it ain't gonna
0: get much better. Yeah, it, this, this this is this, the year to this go This is their
1: year. Because, because
0: Alabama's defense is not that good this year.
1: Because I look at it like what LSU did a couple years ago with Joe Burrow. They had that one year, and they maximized it. Yep. Georgia has to do the same thing. Ride that defense, bro. Yep, because it'll carry you to the championship.
0: Hell, yeah, bro, 37 to nothing?
1: <laughs> yeah, it probably was, was a smackdown. Nothing? It was a smackdown, bro. It was, it was
0: over, place. bro. Before we get into a college football realm, it is one thirty in the morning on this lovely Monday early morning. I know Kyle and I got a lot of things to do, and Kyle's got to upload a lot of these videos because he is a saint and does the technology stuff. But uh, guys, again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the support, and we will be seeing you again this week. Well, you probably be seeing Kyle. If you see me or not, it's going to be kind of based upon what they end up doing for me on Tuesday. So, you know, we shall see. Kyle's yeah. going to probably have to check on me multiple times on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to make sure that, you know, Kevin doesn't end up in the hospital from cardiac arrest this weekend. because, Or on Tuesday. They play the Red Sox on Tuesday. Yep. It's going to go one or two ways, Kev. One of two ways.
0: We're actually going to show up offensively and actually make me happy, or we're just going to forget how to play baseball, and then the bullpen is just going to, like, shit the – I don't know, man. I like, Cole's going on three days rest, and we were going against Ivaldi. We've rocked Ivaldi in his last three games we've played against him. So, I mean, statistically, we should win this game. But when I say that, normally we don't. So I'm just going to say whatever happens, happens. But yeah, um, Kyle's going to have to check on me religiously on uh, on Tuesday evening. And if you don't hear from me, you know why.
1: I just pray that it doesn't come down to your family.
0: To Gary Sanchez. I'm not doing this. Kyle and I had a 20 minute conversation while I was on the way to my girlfriend's house today. 20 minutes. I was absolutely destroying Gary Sanchez.
1: Slumps don't last two and a half years, don't don't they? I'm going to bed. Yeah, but with that said, you guys, that'll wrap it up from here. Like Kevin mentioned, uh, we'll see you guys later this week. We'll definitely talk about the week five matchups in the NFL. Um, We'll also talk about um, the power rankings that we'll put out on Tuesday. Um, that'll take place after the uh, the Monday night game between the uh, Chargers and the Raiders, and then um, I imagine we'll probably ha- we might record some segments uh, throughout the week, just depending on what happens with baseball. And I will say this: if the Yankees do win, I think Kevin will probably be happy to talk about uh, the Yankees beating the Red Sox in the A O Wild Card matchup. So yeah, you know, I th- mean, that hey, could, be, if, could be a possibility. Listen, 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 listen.
0: It's like what a. Uh... I forget who I was talking to where they said, like, if we beat so-and-so. Oh, it's like I've talked to multiple Ohio State and Michigan fans. And, like, I mean multiple. They all say, even if we don't go to the national championship, if we beat the other school, that is enough for us. yep And if we go to the playoffs and we have to play Boston, which is the exact situation this year, to get to the, at least the ALDS. And we beat Boston, as petty and stupid as it sounds, the goal is always to win a World Series and a championship. But to know that we kept Boston from doing it, even if we go home packing the next week, we sent you home early first. And that's enough for me. Because yep. the way that the, the, the way that we have been going, we should not be in the situation that we're in. But alas, the stars aligned. And we're in the playoffs. And if we can beat Boston, I'm okay with that. And I'm good.
1: You got bragging rights. So all I need but yeah with that said you guys that'll wrap it up from here you know just thank you guys for tuning in whether you're watching it on youtube or listening to it on our audio platform audio platforms we definitely appreciate that Uh, we'll see you guys later this week and uh take it easy you guys
0: hey guys it's miriam love here
1: and i want to share something very special with you check out my new release all in the Spanish remixes out now on Electric Hass Records. And always remember: be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.